are the glory of God, we reflect his light. First John gives credence to that. That's why we're here. In fact, in First John 5, 13, John tells us why he even wrote this letter. Like, it's always good. Like, John, why'd you write this letter? What's the purpose of this letter? And, and I'll read it to you. It says this. John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why John wrote this book. That's why he wrote this letter. He penned this letter and he said, I'm writing this to you to tell you that you can know that you know who the Son of God is, that you can know that you have eternal life. And once we know that, we live securely in this grip of God that never lets go. The enemy wants us to believe that somehow he can let go, but he can't. So John's writing this letter, and he's saying, okay, I need to remind you, this is the purpose, like, this is why I'm writing this. I'm writing this so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's nothing like knowing something. And when you know that you know that you know, there's comfort and security in that. However, John says, even though that we know this, even though we're supposed to reflect this light, even though that we're supposed to be reflectors of it with the mirror that we talked about, and we're supposed to radiate the glory of God because we can't on our own produce any kind of good from us. It only comes from the Father, and then we reflect his light. We live out the faith, even though we know that there will be this other light. There will be these other lights, these multiple lights that try to pull us away from the glory of the God who sits on the throne. It's kind of like walking down the 4-H fair, like walking down the midway. You, you walk down there this week, and it's like you got people just on microphones calling out to you the whole way down. And try this, try that. Hey, weigh this. Hey, I can guess your age. Hey, I can guess your weight. Hey, squirt this gun. Hey, do this. And hey, old man, come over here. Bring your daughter. And, you, and as you're walking down along there, there's these enticements along the way trying to pull you away from this path that you're supposed to be on. John literally shows that here, and, he, and I'm going to show you today that he's saying that even though there is the light, Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are these other lights vying for our attention. And so he's going to challenge you. He's going to warn young men, fathers, Christ followers, Grace Community Church, I'm going to warn you that even though you know that you have eternal life, there's going to be someone the enemy who controls this world that's going to try to pull you away so that you can't reflect good works and good light. Let me show you what I mean in a second here. There are these two attentions in our world. It's like having God on one side, and it's like having the, these lights on the other side. So we can have these two lights that vie for our attention. And if we're not careful, we just hold on to these lights. We are grounded until we let go and let God be the light. So we literally have these lights that are vying for our attention. And it's impossible, just, it is impossible to reflect the glory of God holding on to these other enticements, these other lights that the enemy brings along the way. So today he's telling us that watch out for artificial lights because they don't truly reflect Christ. Grab your Bibles, and I'm going to show you, and we're going to go on a journey, and there's going to be this warning sign from John and from the Holy Spirit, and turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 17. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But if you have a mobile device or Bible, find 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and we're going to read it together. And when you find it, just stand, and we're going to stand as we read God's Word today. But turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read not the gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 2, 
verses 15 to 17. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its pleasures desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You may have a seat. John is saying there's only one light that matters. Before you turn your attention away, I want you to do something. Just look at verses 15 to 17. I want you to do something for me. I want you to count how many times the word world appears in those three verses. Look how many times. You can see one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, if you were writing a letter and you took one paragraph, like three sentences, and you continually said the word world, you would think that you're trying to drive a point home, wouldn't you? John is driving a point home. Like he's saying, hey, church, Christ followers, those that reflect the glory of God, watch out for the world. Watch out for the influences of the world. And you might be asking this question, look, so didn't like John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world? Like now you're telling me to not love the world? Like I'm confused, Pastor Jim. How can Jesus give us life for the world, yet here it says, do not love the world. Now, who should I love, the world or the world? The reference is two different things. In John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. That world is a reference to people and God's creation. This world that appears six times in three verses is a reference to the God of this world is a reference to Satan's enticements. It's a reference to the evil system that the enemy has a hold of. Whether you realize it or not, Scripture tells us that there is a God of this world, small g, and his name is Satan. And it also tells us that, that he is called the prince of, and power of the air. Literally, Satan controls because God allows him to at this time. He controls the ideals, the opinions, the goals, the hopes, the views of the majority of people. And his influence encompasses the whole world. So that's why we say Satan is the prince of the air. He's the God of this age. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel of the light. He literally blinds us with his traps, with his enticements. It's like every day we have to walk through the midway of the fair and there's these voices and lights screaming at us, go this way, go that way. But when we do, we lose that position and posture to reflect Christ like we're intended to. So John says this, if we do love this world, then the love of the Father is not in us. It's a big, big, big warning there. Huge warning. Like, if we love the world, the enticements of the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. So every day we have to make a choice. Will I be pulled away or will I remain holding on and allow God to rule my life. It's a big challenge that we live with every day. Part of that is getting deeper. Part of that is growing closer and closer to Jesus. I'm in circles a lot, and this question surfaces regularly. And it goes something like this in Christian circles when it comes to discipleship. Like, are, you go, are, are your people going deeper? Like, so does that mean 
that going deeper is this. So people often say, make sure, make sure you go deeper. Make sure you go deeper in your walk. I always kind of chuckle when I hear that because I long to see us go deeper in our walks. So define the word deeper. Like, how would you define deeper in your walk with God? Like, like in order to go deeper, you got to get closer. In, in order to, to, to find out what God's heart is, you got to get closer to his heart. So my definition of deeper, you can't get close to God without knowing that at his heart, he came to rescue lost people. Like, like, so the question is this, if there's not evidence in your life as a result of studying his word, as a result of, of reading it and memorizing, if you're not sharing your faith, and if they're at your heart, you're not rescuing lost people, guess what? You're not going deeper. The closer you get to God, the more you realize he came to seek and save the lost. That's his mission statement. So people ask me that question. I say, well, what's your definition of deeper? Well, it's this. Well, let me tell you, the closer I get to my God in Scripture, the closer we get to him, we realize that it all started because he saw these people who needed a redeemer and he needed to come and save their souls. That's the heart of our God, and that's why he came. So listen, you want to know if you're going deeper in your, in your walk with God? Then you are regularly, actively living out the glory of God, sharing your faith and telling other people and loving people just like Jesus' heart. There's your answer to deep. Deep, there it is. Actively sharing God's love. And so John says, by the way, if you love the world, then you're not doing that. You're not following after him. You're not reflecting him. You're believing a lie. I mean, Romans 1.25, Paul, Paul said it this way. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. And when we do that, we are enticed and pulled away, and we can't reflect his glory. That's why Paul said later to, to, to young Timothy, who was studying to be one of his greatest teachers and pastors, he said, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There seems to be a posture of alertness. When I read this, like, I keep seeing, do not, watch out. And then, then he gives this list, like, this will pull you away. It's like, when I read this, like, we should wake up each day, like, uh-oh, make sure I'm, I'm chasing the right light. Make sure I'm in a position where I can reflect God's glory. And so there's just this, this alertness that we need to wake up because if we're not alert and we haven't watched our, care, our doctrine carefully and we're not in tune with God, we could be drug away and literally standing in our tracks and spinning our wheels and losing forward movement for Christ. A regular daily dose of examining our lives to make sure we aren't being duped by the enemy is what John is saying. So how do, you, how do you do that? Like, how do we do a regular evaluation? Like, how do I know that this thing that I'm doing is somehow worldly or pulling me into the world? Like, like somehow I bought into the ideals, the systems, the philosophies of the enemy. Like, how do I know that, that maybe that I've been pulled away? Like, what's the measuring stick? Okay, Jim, like, how do I scan my life? What, what are some things that, that, w- that would help me out? I think you... You start with this question. Is there anything in your life that you can't say no to? Like, and it controls you. Like, that isn't God. Like, is there anything in your life that you just keep being pulled away? It's like, man, I want to say no, but I just, I can't. It's like, and it's like, it's daily. You give in, you give in, you give in, you give in. You get pulled away, you get pulled away. If there's anything in your life that you have this regular pattern and habit 
that you can't say no to what you've done. You have allowed the entrapment and enticements of the enemy to pull you away. Is there anything in your life like, it's like, there I am again. Like there was last night. There was yesterday. I know I'm going to be there tomorrow. Is there something in your life that you just can't say no to? That thing could be the very thing that's controlling you and you've bought into the light and love the world that John says not to love. Because ultimately, the Bible says when we do that, we're choosing the world and its ideals and its philosophies over God. Paul had something to say that was really powerful, and I just want to read it to you in Scripture. And he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You don't need to turn there. I'm reading a version that might not be the one in front of you. But Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 7 in regards to the world that we live in. He said this. Just listen to these powerful words found in the message. He says, all of you, that's everyone that's here, slave and free, both, were once held hostage in a sinful society. Then a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. You were bought with the price, another version says. And then Paul says it. So please, don't, out of old habit, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. He says, friends, stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. He's saying there are these temptations that come our way that want to pull you away, that want to take you back to your old habits that don't reflect God, that don't allow you to reflect the glory of God. He says, stay away from them. Take the high ground. There and only there where you walk and reflect who Jesus Christ is. And then Paul went on to say this about living in the world. In fact, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, and I want to read it to you from our screens here because it's really, really powerful. In regards to how do we live in this world, he says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Can you see this tension, this struggle, kind of like when I open with? It's It's like every day that we wake up, there's these two lights vying for our attention. And if we find ourselves pulled away, it says tugged away, that we will end up walking in immaturity instead of maturity. He says, walk towards the light. And when you walk towards the light, then and only then will you be able to reflect God the way that he intended to. In other words, we should stand out. We should stand out in the crowd. You know, if, you, if you're truly a redeemed follower of Christ, you can walk into the world, the evil systems, and you can still be a bright light for Jesus because that world needs Jesus, but you're not being influenced to to being torn or drug away to live their sinful patterns. Christ wants us in the world. John 17 says, 
Jesus actually prayed. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, God, but I pray you protect them from the enemy. In other words, he wants us planted in the world, but he doesn't want us planted in the world and being tugged away and developed, being so adjusted to culture that we do what the world does. We should be a bright light in the world. But what happens? The scripture I just read earlier says that we're bought with a price. Here's a common thread that I often hear about people when it comes to our faith. Often I I will hear Christ followers say this, but my faith is private. So I'll go in the world, but I'm not going to verbalize. I'm just, I'm just, I know I'm going to stand in the world and people are just going to run to me. Like, like somehow, like that just being private, that God has called us to a private faith. By, By the way, I would just pull away and say this, listen, there's nothing private about you. You've been bought with the price of blood of Jesus Christ. And you are his son. So yet some of us, we like to live this way. And you, some of you have seen these signs on property, and it's private property, no trespassing. Some of us like to walk through the world, and we classify, and, and here's, here's what we come up with. We say, well, my faith is private. And since my faith is private, I don't need to, to, to share. I don't need to live out my life in a way that people will notice. Listen to me. That's a lie from the devil, if you're telling me that your faith is private, then you forgot that you were bought with the price by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing private about our faith. We should be the boldest, passionate, most fervent people marching through the enemy's camp because we are confident that our God is with us and people need Christ. And the closer you get to God, you can't help but tell people about Jesus because that's his heart. You want to go deep? I'll show you deep. You want to line up and have a discipleship program? It's someone who regularly understands the heart of God. It's actively living out their daily life so that people are brought to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to do with private. See, if the best is not coming out of you, then you most likely do not believe the truth. There should be a difference in the way we live, John is saying. Our attitude should be different when something goes bad. We should respond in such a way that is different than the world. Our actions should be different. Our work ethics should be different. The language that we speak shouldn't be coarse or foolish talking or have suggestive tone to it. It should be different. Like, we should be able to walk in the world and love people like Jesus did with compassion and and know culture well, and, and, and be part of culture, but not being sucked into the, the, the patterns and habits of what culture says we should be doing. We should live different. It's been interesting to watch my mom um, digress. Uh, I was able to see her even uh, this past weekend on a, on a Sunday night. Spent about six hours with her after uh, being in conference in uh, D.C., Ann and Isaiah and I rode up to Hagerstown from Washington, D.C. and surprised my mom. It works best sometimes to do it that way. And so as we're there, you know, Alzheimer's has a death grip on our, a person's mind. Yet often what happens is this. There's the person who has some level of Alzheimer's or dementia begins to repeat or say things that has always been a pattern of their lives. Like, 
they repeat and they do and they remember. And so that's what comes out of the person. I heard a friend of mine, Ed Lewis, say one time, he said, when his mom was dying and she had Alzheimer's, at her worst stage, at her later stage, all she wanted to do was quote scripture. And she just said scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture because she had a pattern and a lifestyle of memorizing scripture. And so what came out of her was scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture and scripture. What, a, what incredible testimony. It's been interesting to watch my mom because what keeps coming out of her is praise. Like my wife Ann even said, she says, you know, your mom is so grateful and so thankful. I can't tell you how many times in conversation with her, she kept saying, I'm so grateful for my mom and for my dad. And Jimmy, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful for what God has done. I'm so grateful that God gave us this house. I'm so grateful that when we had this other house, he sold it. And I'm so grateful that he did this. I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful. And she must have repeated thing after thing after thing. Well, Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving. You know what? I was so encouraged by that. Because the closer you get to God, the more grateful you are. I wonder if Alzheimer's struck us today, what would come out of us? What would be the things that's a regular habit and pattern? Is it the enticements of the world? Or is it after being so close to Jesus that everything that comes out of you, it says your mouth can't contain, your heart can't contain Jesus. So when we stand in the world, when we stand in the circle, whether we're parts of clubs or or or, or or, or teams, or whatever it is, there should be a distinct difference. And listen to me, your faith isn't private. It's not private property. You should be living out in such a way that they look at you or look at this group and say, man, something's different about them. Seriously, why would anyone who calls himself or herself a Christ follower want anything other than Jesus Christ? Like, why would you want Anything that the world has to offer. So now, John says, okay, that's true. But guess what? Here's the battle. And there's these three areas of your life. It's going to try to rip you away. And look what he says in verse 16. Here's the three areas. He says this, for everything in the world, the lust of the what? Help me out. The lust of the what? And the lust of the what? Eyes. And the pride of what? Look again in verse 16, for everything, not just anything, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the what? World. It comes from Satan's ideals, philosophies. And he's saying this, that these things, they come from Satan, and they want to tug you away. They want to pull you down and help you to live in a level of immaturity. So how do we overcome this daily battle? You know, by the way, Satan is good at what he does. Like, he knows your weakness and my weaknesses. He's not going to come after you, like, if you're not weak in this area and say, hey, here it is. Come in. It's like, oh, He's, he knows your weaknesses. He knows where you're prone to fall. He's been studying you since, since you've been alive. Like, like he, he knows you. Like, he knows the propensities where you fall. He knows when you argue with your wife or your husband. He knows what causes that. He knows where your weakness is, and so he's going to surface. He's constantly after you. And so he knows your propensities where, where you are weak. And so he's going to come after you and get after you. And so what he does, he wraps these things, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He wraps them to make them look more satisfying than what they really are. So he says, hey, if you do this, this will really satisfy you. Let me give you an example. One of my trips to Cambodia had been eating rice and chicken. Like, it felt like I was eating it for 50 weeks, but probably only six or seven days. And so after a while, when you eat enough rice and you eat enough chicken, you eat enough Cambodian food, as a Westerner, you just want a burger. Just, you do. Just like, I, I just need a burger and I need it now. Just, it's like, seriously, you, you just do. And so there was this Western restaurant that we went to. And as we're going to this Western restaurant at this time, they had taken, it was, a, it was a paper menu that they had stapled together, and they had literally taken pictures from the internet and copied paste. Like, there's a picture, there's a picture, there's the price. So I'm looking at the Western side, and there was this burger. I mean, it, it was awesome looking. I mean, it was thick, it was, it was double patty, it had cheese, and it had pickles and ketchup, and it had mustard, and you're getting hungry right now, and it was really, really appealing. Like, if I eat that, I'm going to be satisfied. Because I had been eating rice and, 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 and stuff that smelled like curry all week long. It's like, I want a burger. And so I, I, waiter came over, and I just pointed at it. Like, there, I want that. And they, she shook her head. And so, so I'm excited. Like, it's going to satisfy me. Like, it really is wrapped in a package that looked like a Western burger. So we were talking, and we ordered some food, and some ordered Western, some ordered uh, Cambodian, and my plate came out, and what came out, I looked at this thing. It looked nothing like the photo. It was bread, and there was something in between. And it smelled like curry. Every, like, I, I've never smelled, everything in Cambodia smells like curry. And so what looked like, like, what looked like, something that would satisfy me. So I have a nose that smells things and, and, and picks out good smells and bad smells. And just, I have a real attentive nose. And so I began to smell that curry. So I took a bite and for the life of me, I'm convinced it was a dog from Thailand. There's no, no doubt. And so all I could picture was as I was eating a sandwich, dog, Thailand, dog, Thailand, dog, Thailand. It's kind of what the enemy does. He, like, he throws out these enticements, and we see it with our eyes. It's like, oh, that'll be really good. That'll satisfy me. She'll satisfy me. He'll satisfy That new car will satisfy me. That new job will satisfy me. That bank account will satisfy me. That, that, those new shoes, that, that'll satisfy me. That, that, that new dress, that, that, that. And when you finally get it, how long does it satisfy you? It doesn't, it's not long because... Because look what John says in verse 17. He says, for the world and the desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It doesn't last forever because literally what John is saying, he's saying this, that those things of the world, you might as well look at them and say, they could, you might as well just put them in a coffin because they're going to die and be buried as a corpse. So every time you get pulled away, no, there's going to come a day, they're going to be buried, and they are going to be useless to you. So this thing's come in all directions. So he says, lust of the flesh. So what's lust of the flesh? It's things that bring you pleasure, and me pleasure, temporary pleasure. Or a better way to say it is lust of the flesh is wanting your own way without having to deal with the consequences. Like, I want to get married. 
And so I've been single for 30 years, and he's available, and he says he knows God. And, you know, he goes to church. I don't know what church it is. He knows God. I'm supposed to get married. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to allow this man in my life, and I'm going to compromise these things that I've done for 30 years, being all in, being a regular follower of Christ, standing in the marketplace, but I'm supposed to get married. That's what I want. And so women and men will compromise on the spouse that they chose because they think they need to get their way. Lust of the flesh. It's like eating a dozen rise and roll donuts and without gaining a pound. Like, I can eat them. Like, I want donuts. I'm getting them now, and I won't have to deal with the consequences. See, lust of the flesh is we want it our way. We want to do it our way. And when we can't get what we want, we can do some pretty selfish things. So we develop attitudes of entitlement. That's what lust of the flesh does. And attitudes of entitlement go something like this. Like, I've earned my stripes. I deserve this. And so I just want to let you know that I deserve this. Listen to me, that's an attitude of entitlement. And listen to me, that's not reflecting Jesus Christ. Do you think Christ ever walked on planet Earth and said, I earned my stripes, I deserve this. He gave himself away. He denied himself. He sacrificed his body on our behalf, not because he had to, but because he loved us. Lust of the flesh is an entitlement. And you can pick it up in a second. Or then we shut down because we can't get our way. Marriages, we shut down. I can't get my way. And I deserve to get my way. You're not doing this for me. You're not doing that for me. I want this, and you're not allowing that to happen. And so, you know what we do? We think we deserve it. Listen, we don't deserve anything but death, but praise God for his grace through Jesus Christ that we live. See, that doesn't, like, compute with American world, like, So we begin to compromise our values, sometimes our morals, to get our way. You see, if someone dare gets in our way of us trying to get our way, we will shoot them down because I deserve that. That's called lust of the flesh. So John says, okay, lust of the flesh. What's the other thing that's pulling us as we walk down this midway of enticements in our world of lights? He says there's this thing called lust of the eyes, which is, can be possessions or things. Or better yet, wanting everything for yourself. Lust of the eyes says, I need this, I need that, that'll look good on me. I should have one of those. He has one, I need one. I need a newer version. I need a better one. This one isn't good enough. And so I'm going to spend money, and I'm going to take the money that I'm supposed to give to God, and I'm going to buy this so that I can have this. And every weekend, I'm going to use it. Every night, I'm going to use it. I'm going to continue to use it and get it. Why do you think the world systems who has been set up by the enemy? Imagine, imagine what would happen if there wasn't a new model every year on a camper. If there wasn't a new model every year with a car, if there wasn't a new model every year with a computer, imagine if phones never had a new model. Imagine, let, let, think about this for a second. How long does it take to your new model of whatever it is has you wanting more? 
Why do you think it's set up that way? Listen to me. It's because the enemy controls the values and philosophies of the world that says bigger, better, more. And what happens is we end up spending more of our money, more of our time, more of our talents, managing, and we run away from Jesus Christ because we don't have enough time for him. See, it's real subtle. Here's the problem with this and possessions in themselves. They aren't evil. Possessions aren't evil in themselves. But the time you are taking, protecting, caring for them takes time away from God that he wants and it overvalues them above Jesus. Listen to me. That's called sin. How does it play out in our lives? Shopping. Men and women alone. How many ladies, like when you go out shopping, like do you really need that? Men, do you really need that? And it's like, well, I don't really need it, but it's nice. And so you get it. And what are the ways that, 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 that you bring it home? Like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you show it to your husband? Because if you, if you didn't have an issue with it, it would be okay. When you have an issue with it, when you know you've been tugged away, when do you show it to your husband? Some of you hold on to after you had supper and you fed him. Say, look, baby, look what I bought. Why? Because there's this little part of you that you were standing in the store and says, I really don't need this. These cravings will pull you away if they're not God-driven. So ask yourself this question. What things that you own or long to own or achieve Are you obsessed to the point that they take too much of your bandwidth away from loving Jesus and loving others? John later wrote in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, he says, I remember a time you loved Jesus and you loved others, but your love has waned. You've forsaken your first love. Maybe we need to take inventory of our lives, John is saying, because if we don't from time to time, we could be tugged away and being drugged down by the culture and we lower our standards and our light is dimmed and knocked out and we're not reflecting the glory of God. But what is consuming your attention, your time and talents? You know, here's, here's an indicator. If someone scratches your car, do you get go berserk? If someone puts a fingerprint on your thing, do you go berserk? If someone wants to borrow whatever your thing is, your thing, you're like, no, that's mine. Does that upset you to a level that it just kind of disrupts your day and all day you're wondering why they have it? Hope they don't wreck it. Hope they don't wreck it. Hope they don't wreck it. Hope they bring back six pieces. Hope they bring back seven pieces. Listen, you might be tugged away and valuing that thing above God. This past week, I was able to talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teenage boys. And they asked me to speak to them on pornography and the woes of pornography. And so I'm in this large gymnasium, and there's hundreds and hundreds of teenage guys from all across America. And so I started scrambling through Scripture. It's just loaded. But I began with this premise, and... Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20, because it's lust of the eyes. Proverbs 27 and verse 20 says, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. Seriously, are your eyes really ever satisfied? Like, 
And so when it comes to pornography, when it comes to possessions that are pulling you away from God, it's like, like, it's like when you look at it, it's like it's good for a while, but once you look, your eyes say, I want more. I need, I, I need something better. I need, I need more. And so once you take a peek, if you don't claim your authority in Jesus Christ and walk in holiness, listen, you'll want more. Pornography is that way. It's like you take one look. It's like, that's not enough. I need something more, 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 more. It, anything. It's like I need a newer, better, bigger, best. And so our eyes are never satisfied. But listen, I think about that. What if we, what if we, we keep looking at Jesus? What if we keep hungering after his word? What if we keep memorizing scripture? What if we keep looking at the glory of God? What if we keep living out our faith? What if we keep sharing our faith? Listen, you want something you're never satisfied? Keep being satisfied by Jesus Christ. So as I stood before these guys, I read Proverbs eleven twenty two, And listen to this verse. It says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion, who, 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 who flaunts her body, who, who, who tries to pull people away, and, and in doing so, believes the systems and ideals of the world that you need to expose yourself. One person said it this way, broke down this verse by saying this. According to this verse, a woman with a hot body and no discretion regarding to whom she shows it is nothing more than well-accessorized animal. Then this person said this. This explains why the woman men lust after are not the kind of women they would marry because pigs are fun to roll around in the mud and get dirty with, but you would never take one home and have it sit next to your mom at the holidays. See, there's some truth to that, isn't there? Do you want to marry someone who we would call a prostitute or whores her body? Say, Mom, look what I married. Yet our eyes, when we look at it, are never satisfied. By the way, it's just not guys here. You know, pornography is growing more quicker with ladies. More ladies are looking at the percentages are growing than it is for men. And by the way, it's, and sometimes it's different. It's like women, it's like you read your novels and, you, and you, we, 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 we can't even say, well, it's a chick flick. Let me ask you a question. When you watch that chick flick, why are you watching it? Is it because there's a husband or a man that's doing what you wish he was doing, your husband was doing for you, and you find yourself like thinking about that later and fantasizing about that relation, and you classify saying, hey, come over and watch a chick flick. Like somehow that isn't minor porn. So you don't like to hear that. Like, well, we're women. We like chick flicks. Why are you watching those movies? Why are you reading those novels like Fifty Shades of Grey? See, our eyes are never satisfied. And the enemy knows that. He says, watch out for the lust of the eyes. Because it will inflame your eyes for more. One person said this, that pornography has the sad effect of objectifying people into objects with parts, thereby divorcing a person from their body and consequently diminishing their dignity. So, men, when, 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 you or women, when you look at pornography, basically you reduce that 
person, that, 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 that gal or that guy to an object with limbs and arms, and you'd strip them of their dignity. I want to speak very frankly to men that take it a step farther. Lust of the eyes, where not only do you look, but you pleasurize yourself. One person said this, Tom Likas, he says, when you do that, when you pleasurize yourself after lusting of the eyes, he said, basically what you've done, you reduce women to a toilet where you leave your fluid. See, is that dignity? Is that what Christ's followers should do? Like, like is, that, is that reflecting the glory of God? Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, literally, he says, don't even associate with a brother or sister who's sexually immoral, who's an idolater, who, 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 who's greedy, who slanders, who gossips, who... Listen, you, you, know what, you know what slander is? It's a grudge going bad. It's where we grudge one another. Where is that in the kingdom of God and the word of God? We're not even supposed to associate. He said, listen... Go ahead and, and continue to, to, to live in the world and make a difference. But if there's a brother who calls, a sister who calls himself a Christ father, and they're sexually immoral, they're a slanderer, they're a gossiper, they're an idolater, they love their stuff more than me, Paul says, don't even associate with them. Why? Because no Christ follower should be having those characteristics in their life. You know Why? Because he says, if you bring them into the mix of this culture, the people who don't know Christ are going to look at them and say, well, they're not any different than me. Why do I want what they have? You see, our lives should be so fresh and so appealing, and the aroma of Christ should be reflecting from us that people should say, man, I want what you have. What is it? And you say, it's Jesus. I want to stop right here and remind us of this too, that you're not an animal You are the glory of God. You're not a pervert. You are the glory of God. You're not an addict. You are the glory of God. You're not a victim. You are the glory of God. You're not a fool. You are the glory of God. And he sent his son to make that true. So what are you reflecting? John says, hey, lust of the eyes, watch out. The glory of God doesn't feed its eyes on sewage. We are the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is triumphant, redeemed, powerful, unstoppable because the groom can't be defeated and we are his bride and we march through the enemy's camp and we brightly reflect God's glory and when we do, people want to know what up. So then he says, okay, if that wasn't enough, like, man, I just, just got beat to pieces with that. Okay, John, can you just hold on to that third one? Then he says this, also the pride of life. What's the pride of life? It's called prestige. It's wanting to appear important. Can I ask you what defines your identity? Is it your accomplishments? Your position or lack of? Like, I feel better about myself and my identity if I do this or do this or do that, or if my name's in print. 
there's a fine line here because we're called to live to our redemptive potential. We're not called to waste our time. But listen to me, there is a real fine line here that some of us don't do a very good job with. We want what we want. And what happens when you want what you want, then you have literally fallen to lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. Another question is this, are you okay if your name is never known or accomplishment that you've made in this world never gets brought to attention? Are you okay that the only time it does is when you stand at the beam of seat and Jesus says, well done, sis, well done, bro. Listen, that's all that matters. Pride leads to destruction, destroys marriages, divides churches, Pride also brings jealousy out of your own heart and leads to you knocking someone else down because you envy them. Pride causes you not to be able to forgive someone who has wronged you. Pride says, I'm not going to do that. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And we soon forget that Jesus went to the cross and died for all of our sins, but we can't forgive someone. Listen, I'm not talking about that they don't have to deal with the consequences of it. I'm talking about that the Bible says that Christ's followers are called to forgive one another. Here's what I know to be true about forgiveness. Weak people hold grudges and choose not to forgive. And strong people forgive and set people free. See, it doesn't take a strong man or strong woman to say, I'm not forgiving them. I'm holding on till they die. Like, like somehow we think that's being strong. Listen, that's called weakness. Strong man or woman says, you know, I've been hurt. You know what? But by, by, by the blood of Jesus Christ that, that, that changed my life and forgiven me, I stand in forgiveness over you, and I will not be put myself into prison for the rest of my life. You're forgiven. God, you deal with them. That takes a strong person. Yet, somewhere along the line, we've made grudge one another a one another. (laughs) Listen to me, that's from the world. So do you struggle with an unhealthy pride? Now here's why John said we should do this. Look at verse 17 again. Look look how he closes up this little powerful three verses. He said, the world, verse 17, and it's what desires, what happens to them? They pass away. Can we just stop there and say every single time, like if you hold on to that, if if you want that, he's saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. He's reading and he's telling Grace Community Church, say, listen, when you get sucked into that light, listen, it passes away. But then he says, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. In other words, John is saying, again, the things of this world is a corpse yet to be buried. I would say it this way. You are either reflecting a funeral home or a celestial home. What are you reflecting? By the way, it won't be easy. It's not like, okay, all right, Jim, I give. <laughs> I give. Rest of my life. I give. I'll never, I'll never do it again. The only way that would potentially even be humanly possible is if you, you were dead. <laughs> so it's a battle. 
It's a constant evaluation of our lives. It's surrounding ourselves with the right people. It's, it's making sure that this world that I'm living in isn't pulling me back to these old habits. It's, it's saying that, that I can say no when I'm standing in the world with that old habit that I had, but if I can't say no to it, then guess what? I probably should remove myself from that surrounding of friends and people because I find myself falling over and over again. It's not easy. You see, you know why? It's because we want to hold on to both. It's like, I want to hold on. I like, I like how that feels. I like what that looks like. I like how that makes me look. I like, I like, I like. I like God, too. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Oh, I like this. And so it's this struggle. Kyle Adelman, in his book, Not a Fan, really captured this well, the struggle that we deal with. We want the results, but we're not willing to sacrifice. Listen to what he said. He says, I was at gym. I was at the gym last summer on one of the elliptical machines that faces the window. I was looking out at the parking lot and watching the people come in for a workout before heading home for the day. After a few minutes, a guy pulls up and gets out of his car. He's a large guy, and it takes some effort for him to get out of his small sedan. He's still in his office clothes but I watch as he reaches in to grab his gym bag. He puts it over his shoulder and then leans into the car one more time to get something else. He emerges with a cup that has a red spoon in it. You get what's happening. The man is finishing off his blizzard from Dairy Queen as he walks into the gym for his workout. He stands right outside the window in front of me to take his final bites. I'm pretty sure it was cookie dough, he says. He throws the empty cup in the trash and walks in for his workout. He wanted to get in shape, but he didn't want to make any personal sacrifices. Let me just say it this way. You can't live in such a way that you hold on both. You must deny the world and walk in sacrificial living every single day. Or you won't see the results. Can I ask you a question? What's God asking you to let go of right now? Maybe it's a relationship that you've compromised in. Maybe you just need to go home and say, we're done. Because this doesn't help us reflect the glory of Christ. Maybe, just maybe, you need to reevaluate your spending and say, you know what, it's out of whack. Maybe you need to change the areas where you hang out because when you're there, you're getting tugged away and you're not reflecting the glory of Christ. Maybe you're holding on to a sinful habit that you need to let go of. Maybe you need to set aside your pride that says, I don't care, God, if I ever get what I want. I just want what you want. You see, until you do that, Grace, Until that happens, you will never be able to reflect the glory of God from the throne room of heaven the way he intended us to do. And listen, people won't run to Jesus because of your light, because all they see is something they already see day in and day out in the world. Would you bow your heads and stand with me, please? Close your eyes and 
it's clear that we probably have some evaluation processes to do with our lives. It's, it's clear that in order to be all in, to deny everything else and follow Christ, we need to sacrifice. Maybe God is calling you to let go of something. When you let go, listen to me, Grace. When you and I let go, the trajectory of our lives changes and we live to our redemptive potential. Literally, our lives are catapulted in a whole new direction and our light becomes bright because we reflect Jesus Christ. You can't hold on to both. It's impossible. And call yourselves a follower of God because John says you can't love the world and love the Father at the same time. It's impossible to. So who do you love? Do you love the world or do you love the Father? Grace, listen to me. We can't waste what Jesus did on the cross. He sacrificed, denied himself, and gave his life for us. What are you holding on to? Are you, are you grudging one another? Is there some form of idolatry in your life? Do the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, reflect? Do you have a godly work ethic? Do you work as if you're working for the Lord? Or do you have this entitlement because of the pride in your life and and you're saying, I deserve this. And, And there's a jealous spirit in you that where you're pushing and knocking other people down. Grace, you need to get this. We, we need to get this one down because if we don't get this one down, there's no forward motion in this walk and we can't go deeper and the world will die and go to hell because they need the glory of God in the classrooms, in the schools, in the workplaces, and in the communities. They need to see the radiance of the bride of Christ, redeemed, powerful, walking in harmony. But until that happens, the world will be left with an artificial version of what it means to be a Christ follower and go to hell. So I'm going to ask you to do something here as Pastor Jeremiah and Pastor Jeremy come. And What's your thing that you need to let go of? What is it? Like, like, what's that thing that the Spirit is saying? There it is. I wasn't even aware of it before this service. I'm asking you to invite the Holy Spirit to just to do a thorough examination of your life and your heart and your attitudes and your actions, your possessions. And if you get the okay, praise God. But if there's something that's lingering, I'm going to ask you to just come across the front. I'm going to ask you to just let go. Just say, God, I give it up. I'm not holding on anymore. I, my time is short. You could come back. The rapture could occur. The world needs Jesus. I want to reflect you and you alone. I surrender all. Now, for some, this is a big step because you're worrying about what other people think, and that's called pride. It's, it's called P-R-I-D-E, pride. 
It doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what Christ thinks. So I ask you to come and kneel across the front as we sing and just let go of something that he's telling you to. So come as we sing in Jesus' name, amen.